Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You're listening to the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. I'm your podcast host, Orlando Murrin, and on this show, we're going to talk about some brilliant recipes and we'll even be tasting some of Tom's own creations. This is the BBC Good Food podcast with Chef Tom Kerridge, and I'm your host, Orlando Murrin. Today, we're talking about comfort food. And I'd like to start off by asking Tom, what dish do you long for when you've had a bad day? I, there's so much. See, comfort food covers so many things because you originally think of it, and if you talk about it, you think of it as like wholesome and hearty and warming, and you think of it might be wintry and you sit around a fire, but it's not. It's much more than that. Comfort food is anything that makes you happy. So it could be cheese on toast but done beautifully it could be there's the smell of food that when you walk through the door and there's a roast dinner you know a curry a th- anything like that is something that makes you go something that just makes you feel nostalgic something that you know you're going to enjoy it, it it covers so many different things and i think a lot of it has so much to do with the smell that it creates that's so interesting and it's also the the the, the foods of childhood you, you things that you've been eating all your life I, I i mean the novelty dish isn't really comfort food it's something that you've you've had been eating all your life exactly really, that you know food is the food and food world is very exciting and when you think of how it moves and there's fashions and trends and fads and you think these are all amazing they're great but you you they're exciting things they're the things that you go this the world of food is amazing actually what comfort food brings to you is something that isn't fashionable it isn't about it being the new big thing or this great new ingredient it's about something that makes you go it's something that you recognize it's an old friend it's something you know you know 
you know, like an old friend that you can sit in a car journey with and you haven't got to talk, you know, like you can sit there in silence and just have, you're just surrounded. It's comfortable. It's nice. It's a dish that you haven't even got to talk about. You can sit there in <laughs> silence with it and completely enjoy it. And it's reassuring and it can be sweet or savoury. And as you said, it can be any any kind of dish, but it's something that you've you've kind of grown up with. Yeah, exactly. Nostalgic. Uh, 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 that that point of um, uh, thinking of childhood and thinking of things that make you happy and thinking of dishes and uh, it, there's so much more to it. It's not just about the food that you're eating. It's the memories that it evokes. It's the, the the spaces, the situations that you might have been in, the people that you were surrounded by, the the routine that you were in as a kid or whatever, all those sorts of things. It's fact, I had a conversation. My wife, Beth, has just started cooking lovely kind of like braised beef dishes, bay, braised beef stews. But, you know, whether whether, they, they're, whether it's a wintertime, whether it's not, it doesn't matter. Those flavours are absolutely delicious. And we're saying that our little man, like I talk about, oh, yeah, my mum's spaghetti bolognese. Do you know what I mean? I'm 46 years old and I go on about my mum's spaghetti bolognese. It's great. I remember it. <laughs> These are the sort of dishes our little man's going to remember. When he's old, he's going to be, oh, yeah, yeah, my dad was a chef, but, you know, he was a massive idiot and, and like, overcomplicated <laughs> everything at home. My mum does the best stews. And you can just see that that's where it's going to go. And that that will probably, that will, and he loves it. And it's going to be, his comfort food is going to be a beef stew. And you just go, brilliant. It's great. because Not because of what it does. It, it's because you can see it will evoke a memory of a really nice time. But to some extent, you've made your reputation really on uh, recognisable dishes and pub food and which is a, a kind of comfort food in itself so this is this is more in your heart than it would be in many chefs who have instead made their reputations by doing amazing towers of yeah. uh, puff pastry weirdness haven't they yeah i i think what I've done is I, I've learned I learned a lot working with the late great amazing Gary Rhodes, where he you know he was one of the first people you know pioneering in terms of showcasing British great British food, and you go okay, and then you think of great British food and what it is and what it represents. Amazing, beautiful dishes, um, very simple, and we've kind of worked on that and and played with and stretched them and moved them into a level that is. I suppose a new level, but they still have the heart and soul and the ethos of it being uncomplicated, um, correct in flavour with warm hospitality. And then we just try and get those the simple things right. And I think that is the thing about comfort food is it's simple things done correctly. Yeah, Gary, when Gary Rhodes first did those dishes, it, it felt very new and very different. But he was very clever because he didn't simply pop on a plate a piece of steak and kidney pudding. He actually made it into something new and modern and beautiful looking. But it was essentially a classic dish that at that time was in danger of being forgotten. Yeah, but... Bread and butter putting all sorts of things he revived and he made them elegant, Yeah, but they are... You break down the components of a bread and butter pudding and you think, okay, but what's in it? The bread was always really good bread. The butter that he used was fantastic. The dried fruits were the best ones that we could find, you know. And then the custard that he made to go with it. You know, you could... You know, it's a French creme anglaise, you know, and you can make it... It's not just... Like, everything about it, it's got, you know, fantastic, amazing vanilla. It's got incredible eggs that go through the custard the best dairy and cream that you can find and and every layer of it even though it was very very simple was was more complicated than it could be sometimes bread and butter pudding is just a throwaway dessert that's using that stale using bread that the ends of the like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. however gary was about find the best find the best bread find the best butter find the best use all of those amazing ingredients and yes 
it's bread and butter pudding. However, it is much more than that. It's it's the the, the essential flavors and the driven process to find the best ingredients made those dishes much more. Steam suet pudding, making the best suet pastry. You know, not just throwing something together that'll do. It was, and then lining the tin properly, the correct, you know, the the right thickness all the way around. So it was all about technique, but using ingredients and dishes that people already understood. Gary Rhodes had a reputation for being very, very demanding to work for because he was a very driven hard worker himself. Um, was he a kind of um, Napoleon of the kitchen or... No, 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 no. Gary, Gary... I, I mean, people will say that Gary has that. I think every Mission Star chef has that. There's a level and a standard that you want to hit and it has to be consistent and it's the same. And you, you cut, there's no freestyling in the kitchen. There's no doing it your own way. There's doing it... Gary's way, but that's the same as in any Mission Star Kitchen. It has to be consistent and the same. And I think the one difference between Gary and a lot of other places is that Gary took things away from plates. You know, he kept it simple. It would be, you know, the steam suet pudding with gravy on the side. So there's nowhere to hide. Everything has to be perfect. The pastry has to be the correct thickness all the way around. It has to be considered. Has to be. There isn't, you can't hide it with a load of cress or a puree or a this and a whatever there's nowhere to disguise but it has to be perfect so because you're taking so much away so you put three elements on a plate all three of them have to be 100 percent right and and i think that's where maybe gary's reputation for being a perfectionist came because he was and is but he wasn't napoleonic in the kitchen like he was you know he wasn't it was he wasn't a horrible guy to work for at all he was very committed to training and showing and getting his hands dirty and really being a part of being enthusiastic and making chefs young chefs but enjoy being a part of his kitchen yeah a lot of talent came through his kitchen and out the other side didn't it a the lot. other way in which he was so influential was as a kind of performer celebrity because you you know all about the good food show but he was the first one that really got the crowds excited and what does it feel to be demonstrating in front of crowds uh well crowds of hundreds of people yeah it's i, I have to be honest it's it, it's it, you have to take a deep breath and get on with it but then what you do do the more you recognize that the people there we're all there for the same reason we all it's because we all love food so when you know you do bbc good food, food show live and those events everyone there including the people that are cooking are there because we all love food. We're all there for the same reason. You're not really going, you're not coming to see a show. It's more of a movement. It feels like that we're all part of something that, you know, we're enjoying a day out that is, it's the food that is the show. And we're just all a part of it, you know. So it, it, the more that you recognize that people aren't necessarily coming to see you cook, they're coming to see what you're cooking. And that's kind of different. You know, you go showcasing what you do, allowing people to see. They might tra- take a couple of tips home and that's all they want. And and, and just be engaging about food. I, I, I see it as that I'm communicating the food across to people. It's not about me. It's about the food. You know, this amazing ingredient, this brilliant cheese, this lovely um, tomatoes, these incredible, uh, you know, cabbages that are in season or this fantastic bit of fish or, you know, and how what is the best way of getting it to, for this food to shine so it, I view it as slightly differently but yeah Gary was that first proper crossover from Michelin star chef into I suppose television personality because there was chefs on TV before but they were more cooks they were home domestic cooks showing people how to cook great Gary came from a professional kitchen and then broke that kind of um, that barrier down and allowing uh, uh, the next layer of 
chef cookery on television that people could connect with. He really enjoyed the performance aspect, I think, uh, and it excited him. And he, he did a touring show in the 1990s where he sang and danced and changed changed costumes and things. Good he was for, a, a good for Gary. And you're looking at me going, "Is that?" I know the next question is going, is that something that you... Absolutely not. No, no, definitely. That's not my thing. I have to be honest. I, I'm much more about the food. I'm not into singing and dancing and performing a one-man show definitely not. now i just want to go back to something you said at the beginning which was about the smell of food being so important yeah because in our kitchens now as indeed in professional kitchens we've all got these fans that whisk all the whisk all the cooking smells away and the steam away because they don't, we don't, don't lie wallpaper don't peeling. lie that's absolute rubbish those fans do not work those <laughs> those extraction fans that we have at home they are not extraction fans what are they they they're noisy Okay, but they do nothing. They make you feel good, better about yeah. it. Perhaps. What they do is they clog up with grease. They suck them in, but there's no real extraction, is there? They just make a noise and they half stop the smoke alarm going off. They don't always <laughs> stop the smoke alarm going off. So yes, we have those extraction fans, but they're just there for noise. That's all it is. They don't actually <laughs> and work. And you love the the aromas billowing around the kitchen, do I, you? And I when you open the it. oven, the steamy smell of of a stew or something in there. Come on, there's nothing better than the smell of food cooking, and particularly of ingredients that you love that you know you recognize that when you come you know how many times have we been able to you've been out for a walk or you go home when you were a kid and you come in from school and you know what's for tea without no seeing it because you've walked in the door and gone oh yeah it was jacket potatoes for tea or it's spaghetti bolognese or you can smell a curry or you can smell all of those things you go you're excited because you can smell it before you can even see it the smell of food is amazing i actually work with it <laughs> i work with an amazing chef um that we used to work together for a long, long time. A guy called Dave Philpot, who is um, he's got his own pub down in the West Country now, but he's he's an incredible cook. And but um, he is all about comfort food and loving it. But I mean, he he used to as a kid the the smell of food actually used to get him out of bed in the morning. His mum used to... They, oh, she bacon? Used, Did you fry some bacon? No, also? no, no. She used to, <laughs> It was a frying pan that had the oil in that she used again and again and again for fried eggs. So she would turn the frying pan on, okay, so the warmth and the heat of the fry, of the oil would fill the house. The Dave would be like, oh, yeah, fried eggs for breakfast is a fried egg butty. <laughs> so it would make him get out of bed, come downstairs. There would be no eggs cooking. She'd just turn the oil on. It was just her excuse to get him out of bed. And that's how smells can evoke. Like, it, it made Big Dave get out of bed by a smell. The smell of food is amazing. <laughs> but in your restaurants, you must have major extraction systems to, to, because yeah. that's a professional job of getting the air out, changing the of air. Of course, and we're it? doing so many different things all the time on a constant basis all the way through. And also the way that we cook in restaurants, you see a lot more. There's a lot more smoke. There's a lot more flames. There's a lot more. It's it's a professional environment. So the alarm would be going off all the time all if you didn't get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you don't billow those aromatic fumes across your diners to make them hungry. No. You get them out of the restaurant into the fresh air. Yeah, yeah because there's so many mixed smells aren't you you're doing so many different dishes we're not just doing one however in uh, two or three of the restaurants that we have we have a rotisserie that's pretty in an open kitchen that's quite close to it so the, the, the visually it doesn't create so much of a smell but the kitchen being external people that that connectivity that that kind of tactile ability to be able to to make it um i suppose an immersive experience where you see and you can feel and you can touch and you can see 
things being cooked on a rotisserie make it amazing. I loved it when you first started getting restaurants with glass uh, so you could watch the, the chefs dancing yeah. around in the kitchen. Yeah, we're, well, we're, in, we're that... at next level now. So we're, we're, there's no glass. The, one, the restaurant with the Bull and Bear up in Manchester, it's a completely open kitchen um, and, the, and the coach as well. Do the chefs behave differently when they know they're <coughs> being watched? Do they like like jump and jump about like ballet dancers a bit more? Because they do. They are quite springy, aren't they, in the kitchen? To be honest, I think, uh, no, I think the the, the, the it's, it's been very good for two reasons. I mean, firstly, it's allowed um, chefs now to, they're not so, the work environment has changed massively over the years, whether it's an open kitchen or not. So it's much more connected. There is much more communication. There's a lot less in the way of shouting and screaming. And also shouting and screaming doesn't really work. If you're in a kitchen where shouting and screaming means something's gone wrong. So you don't want any shouting and screaming. You just want a hive of busy activity where people are, are talking to each other in the right way and just getting things done. But what it is also allowed to do, those open kitchens, is allowed the guests to be able to see chefs moving and it, an appreciation of the work that they put in and work that they the do. The teamwork that goes exactly, on. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. So it's been, it's, been, it's been fantastic. Open kitchens work brilliantly because it allows the chefs to work in a, in a way that um, they, they kind of know they're being watched, but it's not, you know, it, just shouldn't, it doesn't change them or alter them. It, it, it might add to their professionality, you, you know, the way, that the way that they work. But, and then from a guest point of view, it does see how, how busy or how much pressure they are under. Do they take a bit more care of their grooming, do you think, when they're behind glass or in the open? Do they have, like, better haircuts and shave or stubble? Or, and do they are their whites more crisply pressed? Uh, no. Have you seen the state of chefs these days? <laughs> Every single one has got sleeve tattoos, like <laughs> eye piercings, nose piercings, they're like, like big beards. They're like, they're quite, yeah, come on. I mean, chefs these days, they, they're more like rock stars. They, they, they're not... We used when I first started cooking. It was you know chefs were in pristine iron chef whites and shiny shoes and sharp trousers. But actually, the reality—I mean, through that classic French brigade. But then the reality of kitchens are we we are all. It's like a pirate ship. It's like a pirate ship full of people that are from cultural and um, diverse backgrounds, from all, all sorts of different um, walks of life. That you know, it just the beautiful thing about kitchens is it attracts all sorts of misfits of society that just want to appear that you don't need um uh you don't need any qualifications to be a great chef you need enthusiasm and commitment and that's where it works really really well so it's a massive mix of people and people who love that environment can't find that environment that working environment anywhere else i think they get hooked on it they like that mix of people and yeah i think that environment and the hours and everything yeah i I think that environment that adrenaline buzz does exist in quite in a few other jobs the only thing the only real comparison that i can think of is possibly from sportsmen who perform you have to go out there and you have to train and you spend a lot of a lot of time prepping to be able to go and then perform the service except we do it twice a day and you do it all the time and and you know chefs although a lot of them are a lot fitter now we're not we're not necessarily professional sportsmen <laughs> but that kind of adrenaline buzz that you might get is very similar i think to to performing in a competitive um, sport because it is quite competitive it's competitive you, you compete against yourself you're competing against the food and the dishes and the customers and you're trying to drive be as best as you can 
Still to come on BBC Good Foods podcast with Tom Kerridge. Um, I love the idea of making caramel by <laughs> boiling down coconut milk. It just sounds kind of super sinful and super delicious. I mean, I'm looking at them and they're, yeah. they're like massive portions. They're the size of, of Stonehenge, they, aren't they? they? It is like Stonehenge. <laughs> <laughs> Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss. The lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Now, can we talk a bit about some actual dishes? Yeah. Um, there, there are two kind of different sorts of comfort cooking. There are ones that you make at home and there are ones that are uh, better to have out. And I'd say that fish and chips is better not to make at home because it's, it's a hassle to make at home. Um, any particular tips for choosing your fish and chips or any particular fish that you prefer with fish and chips or... Oh, see now this this is where it all gets a little bit. You can it can be massively controversial because you can go with well haddock or cod. I mean haddock quite often is served up north, cod down south. Um, whether it's fried in in beef fat and or dripping or into veg oil, that's kind of like you know. And you're sitting on the fence at the moment. <laughs> Which do you personally prefer? To be honest, I don't I, like all of it. I love it. I, I, I'm a, I, I quite like a flat fish that's um, deep fried, but you don't often get place for me when yeah, it's please. in season is amazing, but it can be quite cotton woolly. I do much prefer fish and chips cooked in veg oil. So it's about, so it's very clean and crisp. So you get the batter right and the fish is amazing. Cooked in, it cooked in beef fat or dripping for me is another layer of flavor that I don't necessarily think works a hundred percent with, with fish and chips, but it, I'm never going to say no because it's delicious, but I prefer it as a crisper, cleaner oil for me. That's it. But yes, you can have fish and chips. You can have posh fish and chips in a restaurant, and I love that. However, there's something very special about having fish and chips on a cold, blowy, wintry day somewhere on, on or somewhere, at the seaside, somewhere where it's always seaside. cold and blowy. Yeah, somewhere at the seaside yeah. where you sit down and on the beach on a pebbly beach or a sandy beach, and you're wrapped up and you've got it in the paper when you've put loads of salt and malt vinegar all over it and there's ch- soggy chips that are stuck to the bits of paper and the, just something about that is really 
really special. That's comforting. It's lovely. It might not necessarily be the crispest batter and triple cooked chips, but there is something that's so lovely about that kind of right now you're wrapped up you've got your coat on you've got these kind of like soggy half soggy half crispy chips you've got the bit of fish that tastes delicious with a batter that's half crisp half soggy because it's soaked up in vinegar covered in a little sachet of squirty tomato sauce i mean what more could you want or curry sauce or mushy peas or whatever gravy if you're up north like either way it just feels like the best comfort food in our potatoes podcast we talked about these battered chips that you can get in Exmouth, at Crispy's in Exmouth, which I went and had after we talked about them. And they are supreme. Yeah, they're very good, aren't they? They're very, very good. I don't know how they do, or I suppose they just make chips, dip them in batter and then fry them again. And what could possibly be wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think it's something you could have every day. (laughs) <laughs> but it is. But it is. I mean, it's a great addition to your. Uh, it's a great addition to a, a. You know, to to eating every now and then. Now another great favourite people, and this one, this one is probably one that you make. It's macaroni cheese yeah. or mac and cheese, as they call it in the states. Uh, is that a, a, a favourite of the carriage household? Yeah, it's great. I mean, my little man loves pasta and loves the idea of it. But then cheeses are fantastic. And the, the beautiful thing about dairy and cheeses is that you get so much from it in terms of seasoning and salt content, th- things like. Aged gouda or parmesan, those sort of things, you get a salty kick to it. You can get that kind of unctuous and richness and stinky, big, powerful cheeses like a poisse or, or a vacheran or something like that, where it gives it a real powerful flavor, one of those washed rind cheeses. You can get a big kind of like acidic kick from from blue cheeses, something that really does take a level to it, or something, a cheddar and a really good strong cheddar, that powerful kind of like, you know where it almost burns the roof of your mouth just with taste, like a like a, like a Montgomery cheddar or something like that. Though All of those flavors. And then you get the stringiness of something like a stick of mozzarella in it. It's amazing. And if you did like, you threw a number of those cheeses into your mac and cheese, I mean, all of those combinations of flavours and the textures is just amazing. For something so simple, pasta and cheese. A six cheese macaroni cheese I can see coming on. Yeah. Um, with that, just to ask you how you do that, would some of those you would stir into the sauce and melt into the sauce, would you other, other what? Put them in as nuggets. How would you? How I would put them all into the sauce to make the sauce flavoured, apart from the mozzarella. So I put them all in the sauce and to so make it. So you'd melt them into the sauce. I'd so melt they, them into so the white sauce. So you're not going for texture here. You're going for the. F- Flavor. You're going for the whole, for the flavor. So right. all because co- the texture you want it that kind of creamy deliciousness. You don't want goes... great lumps of half melted cheese in it. No, but yeah. then once it's all mixed together, then I kind of push nuggets of mozzarella in it. So then as you bake it on the top, you could put some crispy breadcrumbs or whatever else, and then maybe a little bit more grated parmesan or some some uh, cheddar, so it gets that lovely gratinated crust on the top. But then what you want the mozzarella, the nuggets of mozzarella in it. So then when you spoon it out, you get that you know like, almost like a really cheesy advert on the television where you're spooning something and there's this boingy stringy cheese it's stretching <laughs> that's what you want is you're stretching and pulling out spoonfuls of macaroni cheese we had uh, via social media a question from emma allen for a um a summer dish for a hungover sun hungover sunday she said and i would say that uh, macaroni cheese would pretty much fix you up don't you think M- macaroni cheese is good but you still got to make it you still got it like this energy and effort. So you could come, make it. You could make it in advance. You could make make well, make, two, it, make it make, make it, two. it before you know you're going out on the lash, <laughs> knowing that the next day you're going to feel really bad, and then that that is preparation to going out and having a good time, Orlando. Is that no, Tom? That, I that, was that, suggesting you've done two. this before. Make one and have it tonight, and put the other away for just that that 
and get it out on Sunday night before you go to sleep when you think you're going to need it. I, I this sounds like a man of experience here. <laughs> the best way to sort a hangover out is sorting out, I know I'm going to go and get drunk tonight, so I better make something <laughs> easy for tomorrow's lunch. Is that Emma that sent that in? Yeah, it is. There you go, yeah. Emma. Emma, you've got, you've got Orlando. <laughs> She's fixed do- up now, isn't Yeah, she? that's sorted. <laughs> um, uh, what spices would you put in the macaroni cheese? Or do you like it very plain, just cheese and pasta? No, I quite, I quite like a little bit of cayenne pepper, a yeah. bit of paprika, those sort of things. The, the the beautiful thing about paprika, especially just it over the top when you do it with the cheese, it helps that lovely kind of goldeny orange gratination that you get. Because it doesn't amazing. actually have that much flavour, does it, paprika? It, a, a bit, but if you have the smoky stuff, really good smoky yeah. paprika is amazing. It's fantastic. It's like powdered bacon without it being yeah. bacon. It's lush, isn't it? So you you might use some of that in in definitely, or on your definitely in, yeah. both in and on. Yeah, yeah, in and Ooh, on. Okay. I, I would put KN through the mix, through the cheese mix, and then I dust a little bit of smoked paprika over the top so it gratinates lovely now another dish that's becoming more popular from the united states is meatloaf yeah which is um such a, a great easy thing but hasn't completely caught on yet in britain because it's just so easy do you make that at home uh, yeah i have done it a number of times actually it's really lovely it's kind of the best way of looking at that it's like either it's like a massive burger just cooked in a loaf tin yeah so you could do i mean there's so many different recipes out there but essentially you make a lovely burger mix have more breadcrumbs to it lots of sweated down onions and all that sort of stuff and mix it together put your eggs in it and and, and you kind of just set it in a loaf tin and bake it and it, it, it is fantastic and you can play around there's so much room for maneuver of adding things in you could put chestnuts in it you can put you know you could put all sorts of different things like roasted pistachios and so it gets and you can vary the meats minced pork or you could uh, skin some sausages and put them in to kind of boost up the flavour and interest in it really well yeah. and then I think traditionally it's served with ketchup um, ketchup and mashed potatoes so that sounds good enough for me well I mean essentially it's just like you'd be, you're just having slices of sausage in it it's like sausage and mash great well there's a new comfort dish for our listeners um, now shepherd's pie yeah isn't that doesn't that just put a smile on everyone's face just the thought of shepherd's pie I do like shepherd's pie. I'm, I I would go over the two. I would go for a cottage pie first. Um, for me, I prefer a cottage pie to a shepherd's pie. But that's just personal. Is preference. that because the minced lamb is a bit kind of uh, greasy, or or you? Do, it's you... got a higher fat content. Yeah, but I do, the thing about all minces though, I always roast them first. I heavily roast the minces so that they go crispy and dark and nuggety. And so you do them in a high oven. High oven. Yeah. You don't do that in a pan because normally you could do it in a pan. You could do it in a pan and then drain it off afterwards yeah. so you render the fat out either way yeah, yeah but either way you've got to cook them heavily and keep stirring it every and so that it could take an hour it could take two hours it could be take 45 minutes but you really want that crispy dark roasted flavor on that mince and then when you rehydrate it in the stock it kind of puffs back up again but you've got all of that flavor so that that works really nicely for lamb but it also goes well with this great way of doing cottage pie so when you buy um minced beef you can now get it in different levels of fat you can get very lean minced beef or the normal would you buy the one with the normal amount of fat and then uh, cook it and drain the fat off or would you go for one of the leaner ones I, to be honest i would go lean i go lean all the time because yeah. i'm going to roast it and get it's the flavor you get, get from the roast anyway it. yeah. it's not the fat content that i'm looking for the flavor it's the flavor the fra- quite often people talk about fat content being there for flavor and that's 100 percent right and true um, for lots of different cuts but actually when it comes for mince you don't want the fat content I 
I want that roasted. You know when you caramelize and you do like steaks on a charcoal and you've got that kind of bar marking, that's for the sort of flavors that you're going to get from caramelization of that of that meat. And that's nothing to do with the fat content. That's to do with the dark, roasty flavor. And do you flavor up the shepherd's pie at all? Or do you like it like plain and simple like mum used to make? Well, my mum used to make it with a spoonful of curry powder in, oh. and it was delicious. It, like a very mild curry powder, so it's got that mild, not hot, so just those mild spicings. I love it. Because Absolutely if you use just delicious. a bit of curry powder, it doesn't actually taste of curry. It just tastes sort of spicy and flavoursome, doesn't it? Yeah, it gives it a really yeah. nice, just another layer. And, Absolutely And delicious. anything in the mash or plain potato? Plain potato is good, but uh, like mash needs dairy. I mean, it's going to need, you know, it needs, it needs those sort of flavours going for it. It's also quite good with some English mustard stirred through it as well. So another layer of flavour coming through there. Just a bit of warmth. And in it. terms of dairy, would that be cream or milk or just whatever you happen to have? Cream, milk and butter. I mean, yeah. like all of it. And then you could put a bit of grated cheese on the top if you wanted to and some English mustard. Why like every, not? Every chance you've got. Of it. I mean, this is comfort food. <laughs> this is comfort food. But the good thing about comfort food, and this is something that always... We, we talk about... And you again, we're talking about dishes that, that sound quite wintry. But slow cooked and wintry sounding dishes don't they're not just about winter they're about all year round if you think of some of the most some of the hottest countries in the world if you think of places like north africa and you think of india and you and you think of uh, the food that they do there if you think of north african tajines they're slow cooked spiced flavored lamb dishes if you think of curries and they are slow cooked hot stews with big flavors they're the sort of thing in this country we go oh yeah no 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 don't have those in the summer what do you mean you don't have those in the summer they're eat- we're eating them in you know north africa and india i mean it's about it being hot those are comfort foods and they're flavors that are amazing and they're very simple to do you know it's not always in this country it shouldn't just be about a salad being in the summertime those kind of slow cooked north african moroccan style spicing dishes work so well for, for summertime they're amazing and they do make you feel better and you want to be, feel better in the summer just as much as you do in any other season don't you we all need comforting <laughs> i'm, I'm I'm looking down my list of um, of comfort foods, and I, I, I come again to ones that have mincemeat in them. Yeah. So you've got lasagna, it's got mincemeat in it, and stuffed vegetables. Yeah. I know that stuffed vegetables will be um, popular with listeners who are veg- vegetarian or vegan, so we're not going to be stuffing them with meat. Any ideas for, for livening those up and making them exciting? Yeah, they're re- like a, making a really nice ratatouille is very, very simple. You know, those sort of things, or, or, or beans, you know, kind of like a really nice haricot blanc kind of, you make a haricot blanc stew that, that is lovely and delicious, and then you could fill those vegetables with that. Work right. really well, or, they, or you could feel that you're suggesting that you could fill them with ratatouille as well. Exactly, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. and it works so well. The, all of those flavours come together really nice. And then give them a really good baking. The problem that I've had sometimes with stuffed vegetables is that it's this kind of rather hard shell containing something lovely in the middle of it. Yeah, so, no, you do need the, the beautiful thing about the vegetables, like peppers or aubergines or whatever it is you're going to. The, the more you roast it, the better flavours they are. That you then the, the good thing about stuffed vegetables that you use for stuffing are they're quite high in a sugar content so as the more you roast them the sweeter and the softer they become the more they drive their flavors which is really important it's not about al dente vegetables is great for like 
quick cook green things, you know, most of the time. But actually, a lot of things you want roasted and you want it sweet. And, and they flavored. get sweet. There's a point at which they suddenly become sweet as well as tender. Exactly. That point of when it becomes soft is when those sugars have started breaking down. It's delicious. Now, we're going to talk puddings. And to launch our pudding discussion, I'm going to snap my fingers and Jack is going to appear with a sticky date pudding with coconut caramel. One of your recipes, Tom, from bbcgoodfood.com. Yes. I love this recipe. Uh, and it's like all your recipes, it's, it's innovative. Um, I love the idea of making caramel by <laughs> boiling down coconut milk. It just sounds kind of super sinful and super delicious. I mean, I'm looking at them and they're, yeah. they're like massive portions. They're the size I mean, of Stonehenge, they, aren't they? they? It is like Stonehenge, <laughs> if, like made out of uh, this kind of like a sticky toffee pudding. It is, you know, and it's, it's got suet in it as well. Exactly, it? yeah. So it, it's kind of like a play on it, it's, except it's a little lighter it is a little lighter but yeah the coconut caramel is something that works like it's really i mean i mean it's a Look nice alternative yeah yeah it's a great color as well it's sort of um it's a buff color isn't it, it, it um the thing about suet is that oh, oh thank you very much oh, right that's going to go everywhere it has gone everywhere um <laughs> thank you orlando very, right the, at this point <laughs> now covered in coconut caramel <laughs> which uh it's gonna go, the podcast is going to go silent if we're not careful so i'm just going to wait a moment before i bite um the the Suet is a very convenient form of fat. I know it sounds a bit old-fashioned, but you don't have to do anything. Just mix it in. It doesn't need to be creamed or melted or anything else. It's rather natty, isn't it? It just breaks down really easily. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, it breaks down really easy. And this, because of the... um, It feels quite light. It feels quite... Even though it's comforting Mm -hmm. food, it's heavy. It doesn't feel too stodgy. Mm. So it's it's delicious. Whose recipe is this? (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I've warned about the science. Um, it's actually, it's a dessert more than a pudding. It's very, it's very sort of fresh flavoured because of the coconut. It's got a modern twist to it, as your recipes usually do, don't they? But we're eating this mm. pretty much cold. So you can see how it would work as a cake. It's the sort of thing that could be set and done, and you can do it slices. You can have a slice of this with a cup of coffee. If, you it, know, if it, it lasted that long. Um, <laughs> I know you're, you're a custard man, aren't you? I love custard. So does it have to be... Your, your creme anglaise or your bird's custard or either one I'm quite happy with either one and that bird's again that bird's custard is something that is really nostalgic is something that's fun, you know something that you, my nan used to make from being post-war and it's like those kind of flavours that have you know thickened bright yellow I mean it yeah, reminds what? me of trifles as a kid yeah, it's a very good thing. It tastes great. It does exactly what it says it's going to do. I wish it was slightly paler yellow because then you could pass it off as creme anglaise. Well, Couldn't you could make it, a mixture of the both. You could add a spoonful of the custard powder oh. into it. So when you're making so you're whisking your egg yolks up with sugar, add some bird's custard into that, and then pour your milk and vanilla and whatever else into it and cook it out. Then you get the mixture. You get the best of both worlds. And people wouldn't know. And do you serve those milk puddings, which are quite controversial because some people love the idea of a rice pudding and it, it brings back their childhood and other people are repelled by the thought of sago and tapioca. Do you do those in the restaurants? Rice puddings we love very much. I'm a big fan of rice pudding. And, and, and then the idea of something like a junket that's set with rennet. I love like a really I old I think junkets fashion. come right back now. Yeah, it's a very simple thing to do. You yeah. know? It's a, but it is beautiful. Really lovely. 
And you, it's one of those mix, you just mix it up, the milk, the sugar, the junket, liquid, and then yeah. leave it in the fridge. Is yeah, that right? exactly. And it's sort of a miracle, isn't it? Yeah, well, actually, I mean, you can leave it in the fridge or you can leave, they, it'll set at room temperature. You know, there's a couple of recipes that will set at room temperature so you can make them and just leave them and they go. And the same is like a lemon posset, something like that. Again, very, very simple. You, That's amazing lemon posset, isn't it? I mean, who who invented that? Just I have no idea. Really. Boil cream with some lemon juice and sugar and then it sets into this fabulous it, sort of silky thing. It is. It, well, it's, it's, it's an it's understanding. Miracle. Again, well, it, it is, but this is where the food crossover and the science comes into place, isn't it? And this is where the acidity that sets with the dairy and, and strengthens the fat content uh, and what it does is then it sets it up in the fridge and, and it, there's no setting agent. It's the, it's the, it's the balance of adding um, acid to fats and you just go great okay perfect we'll go with that <laughs> we'll and, go with that and then you can't improve it there's no, you can change the flavor of it by changing the juice but there's nothing else to be done to it it's just perfect isn't it it, it is so and so simple to do it's a really really easy sunday morning dessert to make for people like you've just got nothing else to do about it and and the texture and the flavour is delicious. And then finally, a piece of equipment, because I know our listeners enjoy equipment and slow cookers have been coming right back in the past few years. Um, at goodfood.com, we've got some reviews of them. But are you a fan of slow cookers? I, I never use them. I, 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 not for no other reason apart from um, if I'm braising something in the oven, I'll, I'll just I time it. Yeah, I know where if I want tea dinner at eight o'clock. Basically, I'll I'll stick it in the I'll stick it in the oven at lunchtime and wait for it to be ready. It's just it's just something that we never I never use. It's just something, I think, for no other reason apart from I don't I ain't got one. <laughs> it's the same techniques as you use when you're slow cooking in the restaurant, except people can do it at home much more conveniently, and they don't have to be there. Yeah, and they can get very long cooking times because I suspect in the restaurant do you do some things over really like seven hours or something like that yeah we do lots of things we do well we do lots of, <laughs> it, it, it all varies we do we we do quite a bit that's cooked under pressure so so oh, great right. big pressure pressure thing so slow braises that might take ages for like eight hours for things like pig's heads and things like that we can get them done in two because you're cooking them under pressure which is great yeah and making stocks and sauces that can be done very quickly or we'll do things much slower and lower through sous vide cookery and water bath which is as I said Essentially the same thing. Yes. Well, when you get home, you might want to investigate. Uh, I can see a line of slow cookers in your kitchen <laughs> turning up and you experimenting because I know you're a great experimenter. Yeah. Anyway, Tom, that's been a, a very reassuring and comforting talk. I feel very, uh, very relaxed and happy with the comfort food that I'm going to make from now on. So I'd like to thank you very much and look forward to seeing you all again soon. It's a pleasure. I'm going to have another slice of this cake. <laughs> Me too. Thank you for listening to the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. And to find out more about the recipes we've been talking about, go to bbcgoodfood.com. Listener.